Amen. You guys can have a seat. God is good, isn't he? So we're continuing in this series called This is the Gospel. We, we took a little bit of a pause through the holidays and the beginning of the year. And uh, through this book, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I think this has been such a, a fruitful time for us as we look through the Word again. There's so many times that we can look and we can just take a passage and, and, and we want to declare a, a single verse, but there's something significant about getting through a, a book of the Bible and saying, we're going we're gonna to dive through this verse by verse, passage by passage, and we're going we're gonna to learn from the entire body of the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Uh, maybe you can, you can raise your hand or, 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 or whatever if, if you have. But have you guys ever experienced a moment where maybe you're going home, you're going to work, or you're going to pick up the kids somewhere, and you're driving, and you're there, and then next thing you know, um, you got to where you were going, and you have no idea how you got there. Like, you ever have that? Like, I, you, like you just, you're driving home, and like, you, you, all of a sudden, you're like pulling in the driveway. And like, I don't remember. Did I use a turn signal? Did I, did I run red lights? Did I, did I even pay attention to anything else? It was like, there could have been like a clown car, uh, you know, driving next to me the entire way, and I would not have noticed. And you, you get there, and you, you pull in, and you're like, how did I get here? I remember when we had moved Amanda one time, she was coming home from church, and, and she literally, she drove to our old house. Just out of routine, right? You just don't even just don't even know it. You kind of put it on auto drive, and, and autopilot kicks in, and, and next thing you know, you're you know you're not where you thought you'd be. And last week we actually talked about that a little bit. That, that the goal in the Christian life is not just to have this hot start and then you know finish and, and, and kind of fan out into this little you know little tiny flame, but we want to finish strong. And so often what happens is in the Christian life we put ourselves on autopilot and. And really what we learned last week is that autopilot doesn't get you where you need to go. When you live life on autopilot, you end up where you've been before. And so there's so many of us that maybe, you know, we're, we're journeying through this life. And maybe that's even a question that we're asking. How did I get here? I remember when I was in elementary school, I was probably, you know, second, third grade. And my dad was in a youth pastor at the time, and he had all these interns. And one day after school, I, I, we're in the youth facility and, and we're kind of playing around and his interns had this great idea. They had inflated this giant, like four foot round ball. And it was like, the, you know, do you remember like the old colorful, like parachute fabric that, you know, you, you know, like do this. Thing? It was like covered in that same stuff. And, and they looked at me and, and they had this bright idea. Like, why don't we put him on top of this and see who can knock him off first? So I was, I was dumb enough at this point to say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And so they throw me up there, and, and I'm sitting on top of this thing, and I, they're, like, coming, like, pushing it back and forth, and I'm, like, making my way back and, you know, keeping my balance. And then all of a sudden, I remember I just hear this, like, yelling, and I turn around, and it's one of my dad's interns. His, his name was Jeff, and Jeff was a big old boy. And Jeff came, and he hit that ball so hard that the next thing I remember is just going phase forward straight to the ground. That's the last memory I have. Then the next memory I have is hours later, it is now dark outside, I wake up in a chair in my dad's office. See, this is like back in the day before we knew what concussions were, like we didn't really care, <laughs> right? It's like a whole different day and age, like you get hurt, it doesn't matter, like you have like a broken arm in my house, it's like, you know, like walk it off, 
Nowadays, it's like you look at my kids wrong, and it's like, I need a Band-Aid. It's like, those are reserved for flesh wounds and missing limbs. But I remember I, I woke up, and I'm sitting here in my office, in my dad's office, and I'm looking around, and I'm just thinking, what happened? How did I get here? And I think that if there's some of you in this room this morning, you'd be looking at the circumstances of your life. And you would look around and you'd say, how in the world did it end up this way? We started off good. Things started off great. Things were on the good path. And look now, where is it that we are now? How did I get here? Some of you, you know, it's actually a good thing to do. There's moments that I come home and I go out to check the mail and then I come back and I'm just looking and I like, I see, you know, my kids are playing in the yard and we've got the house and Amanda and I, we've you know, been married for, for a while now. And I'm like, how did, how did we get here? Like, you ever feel like I'm still like the 18 year old, like punk, like how in the world did I get here? And as we open up scripture today, I want us to keep that question in mind. So often we can look at the what, we can even ask the why, but not evaluate the how. How did I get here? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Mark chapter 4. And if you weren't with us these past few weeks, we are finishing up chapter 4. And in in, in the the finish of chapter 4, this is like wrapping up a very, very eventful day for Jesus. Jesus' ministry has come to this point where he is now somewhat of a celebrity in this area that, that wherever he goes, he draws a crowd that people are amazed because who is this guy that can do miracles? Who is this man who teaches with the authority that no other rabbi teaches with? And then last week we talked about these parables, these teachings that Jesus was giving, the parable of the soil and the sower, And then he goes and he explains these parables to his disciples. And remember, Jesus was teaching in this boat. And and all of a sudden, after this very eventful long day, he's been questioned by the Pharisees. He's gone out and done some miracles. He's hopped in this boat for a few hours and he's taught the masses. What happens is Jesus gets a little tired. And in verse 35, it says this. On that day, again, the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And so here we have Jesus. He's sitting in this boat. And and what we we learned last week was called the Bay of Parables, which I actually just want to say I misspoke last week and said it was on the Jordan. It was actually in the Sea of Galilee. And in the Sea of Galilee, there's this this natural point where Jesus could sit in the boat. And and all of a sudden, you look around. And the way that the the land was structured, the way that everything was around, that, that even scientists nowadays have shown that, that his voice could be heard by thousands of people as he sat in that boat and he taught. And so he's sitting in this boat and he looks at his, his disciples as he's wrapping this up and he's saying, let's just go ahead and take this boat to the other side. There is more for me to do on the other side. And so he's gonna sail the boat to this Decapolis city of Gadara. In verse 36, it says this, and leaving the crowd, sometimes y'all just need to leave the crowd. Just gonna say it, just a freebie in there. They took him with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. 
Now, I know you've probably heard this story if you've been in church for any period of time. Maybe you've seen like a Veggie Tales or, 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 or you've watched The Chosen or you've seen some sort of depiction. Even Rembrandt had, had one of his paintings that is hanging in a museum that he, he, he painted this very scenario. And what we often picture is this crazy rain that's coming down and thunder and lightning and all this. But you know what actually the word says? And if you look at contextually, it's, it's a wind storm. And actually, it's not that uncommon for a storm like this to come. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. And right around it on the other side of the the sea are are these mountains that are creating this wind that would come down. And and at this time of year, this wind would come and it would create what, what is kind of like a hurricane type scenario. Where out of the blue, all of a sudden, these guys who are sailing across, they encounter this great wind. And the waves begin to crash against the boat. It's kind of cool if you Google this. They actually found a boat. They, 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 they've titled it the Jesus Boat. Not necessarily the exact boat that Jesus sailed in, but they have dated it. They found it at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee to around the time that Jesus was alive. And you can actually get a picture, an idea of what this type of boat would have looked like. And he's got all these disciples and he's got all these people in here. And it says in verse 38, but Jesus, he was in the stern. It's the back of the boat. He was asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Have you ever asked God that question? You ever got in a moment in your life and you're just looking at all the things that are going on in your life and you're like, God, do you just, do you not even care? Do you not see all this? I know you have to see it. I know you're God. You're in control of everything, which means do you just not care? And so often we can judge God based on our circumstances and we can start to ask these questions that really aren't the right questions. As we'll see, it's not the question of God, do you not care that we are perishing? It's God, what are you trying to do in this situation? It says that Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. When you look at this in the original language, it actually, it creates this very stark picture that as this great storm came out of nowhere, this great calm came in the same flash of an eye. That in this moment, the wind ceased, but also the waves were flattened in an instant. Could you imagine that? Like, that, that's hard for us to picture, right? Like, you, you get in the pool, you make the wave pool, you do all that kind of stuff, and it takes minutes for that to dissipate. But in a moment, Jesus claims authority. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I mean, you've seen all the things that I've done. You've seen me do miracle after miracle. You've seen me provide. You've seen me teach. You've seen me walk in this authority of God. You've followed me. And you still do not believe. And it says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, because this is a callback in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, you know what happens is, is all through the Old Testament, anytime that, that it was referring to the one who could control the wind and the waves and the weather, it was only God. 
So here in this moment, they're even getting a greater recognition of who Jesus truly is, that he's not just a good teacher, that he's not just another rabbi, that he's not just another John the Baptist. He is God incarnate in the boat with them. And I love, too, that this, this paradox where it's, they were filled with great fear over the waves, and they were filled with great fear when they ceased. Sometimes we're afraid of the wrong thing. Sometimes we're afraid of the circumstance rather than afraid in a healthy fear of awe and wonder of all that God can do. And this morning, as we were looking at this scripture, I think it's important for us to to recognize that the theme of this passage is is not for us to go and, and implant ourselves into the story it's not for us to go and impose ourselves into being the disciples. That's, that's not the, the, the first thing that we should do. The first thing that we should do is look in awe and wonder at Jesus, the one who can speak and make the ways obey, the one who can sleep in the midst of the storm because he knows he's got the power in his hands and he trusts the Father. The first thing that we should do is look in wonder and awe. But as we dive into this, I believe this is in the scripture, not only for us to see the power and the majesty of God, but for us to get a greater revelation of how it is that we are to respond to different seasons in our life. You see the disciples in this moment, I'm sure they were questioning, how did we get here? We were just on the shore. We were just watching Jesus do all these amazing things. And now we're in this boat and it's about to go under and the waves are about to take us. The question shouldn't be just how, but also who. As we evaluate maybe the storms in our own life, it's important for us to evaluate what got us there, but more importantly, who got us there. You see, if the disciples had recognized that it was Jesus who got them in that boat, and it was Jesus who said, let's sail to the other side, and it was Jesus who was with them in their midst, sleeping in the same boat as they were experiencing the same storm together. So I want to talk this morning, and, and I know we're going, to, we're going to stick to the text, but I'm also going to use this as a jumping point. Can, can, I, I really just sense right now there is a lot of storming going on in our lives. In fact, I was telling a group of guys that I meet with um, for discipleship, I was telling them, I, I don't know if I've ever had this many Issues with people calling me and saying, hey, this is happening. Hey, we just got this diagnosis. Hey, we, we just, we just, you know, my, my, my husband said this, my wife said that, and we're doing this, and, and we're going through this, and my kids are walking away, and my kids are questioning all the, so many different storms that are happening. And what I think is important for us to evaluate is, who got you there? What, what, what puts you in that storm? You, you see, the, the, the thing that tends to happen, especially in our day and age with American Christianity, is, is we just say any storm, uh, oh, it's the enemy coming at you, and you better just prophesy over it. But what if, what if it wasn't the enemy that got you there? <laughs> That'll mess with your mind. And so the first thing that I, I want you to see this morning is this. The who behind the storm of the Spirit. 
And I think it's very important for us to evaluate the who behind the storm because just imagine you, you all of a sudden ended up in a bank vault. You're standing right square in the middle of a bank vault. It's a big difference if the owner of the bank escorted you there than if the random dude with the black mask over his face escorted you there, right? You're going to respond way differently when you recognize where you are when you realize what got you there. And, and I, I know, again, we, we may not feel comfortable with this all the time, but God will take you through storms. God will, will lead you through hard circumstances to grow you. I, I look around and I, I know I have, you know, two kids and parenting is one of those things that you always have to juggle. The balance between how much do I protect them Versus how much do I let them experience so they can grow? How much do I, I coddle them and, and, and I put my arm around them and, and I just look after every single circumstance and I just want to put you in a padded room and make sure that everything is okay? Versus how much do I say, hey, you're going to have to experience the real world at some point. And God looks at us no different. He, he understands the level of our faith and our ability that he looks at you and he says, hey, there's going to be some moments that i got to let you go through some hard stuff so that you can grow. And I want you to write this down. The Spirit won't lead you into tests to see how strong you are, but to see how dependent you are. So often we just think, oh, this storm is coming. I just got to see how strong I am, how resilient I am. No, it's how dependent am I on the power of God to get me through this? And many times God will allow us to go through seasons of testing. And it gives us this, this nice vantage point to understand how dependent am I really on God versus how dependent am I on my own power my own situations, my own circumstances. I think it's very interesting that in this passage, if you know who these disciples were, you see these disciples, many of them, close to half of them had a background in fishing. You know what they were pretty used to doing? Going out on the Sea of Galilee in a boat So in this moment, not only is God testing them, he's testing them in something they're familiar with. Sometimes it's God testing you in the thing that you think is your strength so you can recognize, am I leaning so hard into my own strength or not? Have I surrendered this to God or am I holding on to this? And I want to let you know this, that when the spirit leads you into a storm, the response is rest. But, 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 but Chris, aren't I supposed to fight and claw my way? And, and aren't I supposed to work my way? And do no, 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 you're supposed to rest. You recognize in this passage, you know what the, the, the correct response would be? This wouldn't even really be a story in, in the Bible that we're talking about thousands of years later if the disciples had acted like they should have. You know what they should have done? They should have said, yeah, yeah, we're in a storm. This is crazy. But look, Jesus is sleeping. So he must not be worried. We've been in situations where maybe, you know, things are a little tense or crazy. And I remember I went on a missions trip one time with my dad. and We went to Africa. 
and, and we're in Africa and, and we go to this prison that is like the maximum security prison, which means they have sticks, like they have like a baton. They have like zero weapons and, and all of a sudden we go through this prison and, 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 and they walk us into the courtyard and they're like, yeah, everybody here is a murderer, right? And I'm like, this is great, thank you for this. And you have a baton. What are you gonna do, like a dance for them? And I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I was like 16, 17 years old and I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of fearful. And it was in that moment that I look at the guy who's leading us and I look at my dad and I saw that they were comfortable. They'd been there before. They'd experienced this before. They knew the situation. So often we look to the wrong thing when we go through a storm. We keep looking at the storm, we keep looking at ourselves, keep looking at our circumstances, Worse off, we keep looking at other people when really we just need to look at the one who led us there. And if he ain't worried, <laughs> neither am I. I can rest. You know the passage, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So then when I'm walking in the purpose that God has for me, it means that all things are gonna work together for my good. Not for my comfort, not for my happiness, but for my good, so I can rest assured that he's got it in his hands. If the spirit brought me in it, I can rest through it. This is amazing thing that kind of set me on a little bit of a rabbit trail and in, in, in diving into some of my old systematic theology books and just trying to look at, man, Jesus is sitting here and Jesus is fully God, fully man. Jesus was aware of the storm, and yet he called the disciples to get in the boat anyways. And he said, yeah, we're going to sail across anyways. And not only that, Jesus knows what's on the other side of the lake that's about to come against him anyways. And he says, let's go. And there's this interesting thing that, again, this is just kind of like a side tangent, but I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And it's what's known as the hypostatic union, which we can't understand. And it's this uh, Chalcedonian creed that defines this, that, that all these different theories that, that God was just, you know, in, in this fleshly form. But no, it was, he was fully God, fully man. That he had, he had the, the concern when his friend died, he had pain. When, when he went through the garden, he cried tears because he had anguish. And the reality is this, is that we can know that when the Spirit is leading us through a test, through the storm, we can also know this, that he is empathizing with us. He knows what we're going through. Hebrews says that therefore now we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness because he's been tested and tempted and tried and he's experienced the weight of this world. So if the Spirit leads you in a storm, you can rest assured that he's gonna get you through. So maybe you're in a situation right now and you just have to sit back and evaluate and ask this question. Did following God bring this storm? Was it my faith that got me in this situation where, where, where people around me are coming against me? Or, or was it my faith that cost me this opportunity? Was it my faith that got me in this situation that it will be my faith in Jesus that gets me out and I can rest? The second who behind the storm that I want to look at this morning is self. And while we may not see it in this text right here, there are stories permeated in the scriptures that show storms that are self-induced. 
And again, a lot of times we don't want to talk about this. We live in a culture that is full of the blame game. It's our favorite game to play. We just want to pass it off on like, well, well, this excuse and that excuse. And if I was raised on, in this family or if I was this way or if I had that, that opportunity or if I just had these resources or these relationships, and, then this would have never happened to me. But so often we can actually examine the things that are going on in our life were self-induced. I think this is one of the least talked about things in modern Christianity because we just want to blame everything on the enemy. And I think sometimes the enemy is looking like, you fool, that ain't me. You got yourself in that situation. Some of you are like, I'm in debt. It's an attack of the enemy. No, it's you spent too much. I got health problems. It's, it must be an attack of the enemy. No, you eat, you know, Twinkies and Ding Dongs every single night and never go to the gym. You smoke 16 packs of cigarette a day and you wonder why you can't breathe. That is not an attack of the enemy. That's an attack of your foolishness. I'm out of work. It must be an attack of the enemy. No, maybe it's that you showed up late every day and you did sloppy work and they said they got to let you go. Maybe I have no relationships. People don't want to be around me. It's an attack of the enemy that I'm, you're you're just not very pleasant. And you gossip all the time. Nobody wants to trust you. People people don't like me. It just must be an attack because I'm a Christian. No, it's not about your faith. It's about your posture. So many times, even in today's culture, you know what we say? We say people don't like Christians when we've given them reason not to. And I'm not talking about, you know me, you know me. I'm not talking about watering this down. I'm not talking about compromising on what this tells us. I'm talking about our posture and how we deliver the message that God has given us to deliver. Do we deliver it in a way of empathy and compassion or do we just plaster it on a billboard and say you're going to hell? Sorry, side tangent. The reality is this. Maybe you're looking at a situation in your life and you step back and you say, you know what? If I'm being real, if I'm keeping it 100 I got to say that I'm the one who led me into this storm. One, that is an amazing place to start, but it cannot be the end. This isn't a counseling session where we just get to the root of our problem and say, let's go, I'll see you next week. No, this is, the correct response is this. Repent. What led you into that storm Repent. Turn the other way. We don't talk about repentance enough. We talk about overcoming and victory and blessing and favor. We even cry out for revival and and a, a move of the Spirit. And it all starts with repentance. It all starts when we are willing and able to step back and say, you know what, God? This is me. I messed up. I made a mistake. And the good news is that when you repent, his arms are open. There's a story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. The son that 
decides, I want to go off. I want to take my inheritance. I want to take all of the riches that my father has to give me, and I want to go spend it and do it my way and my timing, and it gets him where? In a pig pen. And it could have very easily gotten into this posture where he's stuck in that pig pen because all he's doing is like, the enemy got me here, and, and the enemy did this, and, and God, you just must not love me. My father must not love me. He must not care about me. Look what he, he left me. Look what he did to me. And no, there finally comes this moment where in the lowest of lows, this man, he looks and he says, what a fool I've become. Look what I've done. And he goes back and he says, you know what? Maybe if I, I just go back to my dad and I beg to be a servant, maybe he'll just let me be a servant. And as he approaches, he says, the son comes and the father runs out to meet him. And he says, Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Some of you, that's the way that you feel. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. The reality is, is, is we don't have that connotation of repentance. We think of repent as this, as this just like dreadful thing to do. And I'm not saying it's always easy, but I'm saying it's worth it. Because what happens is that we, when we turn back and we confess and we repent and we come back to God, you know what he does? Is he throws the robe around us. And he hugs us close. And he says, you were wayward, but now you are found again. Let us celebrate. So maybe you're in a situation that you, your life is tough, your life is hard, and situations are going crazy. You have to sit back and say, did my decisions get me here? And if they did, repent. And that doesn't always mean that you're not going to have the earthly consequences, but it means that the heavenly consequences are erased. The last that I want to look at, and I'm going to go through this a little quick because next week we're going to be covering this more. The who behind the storm of Satan Again, a lot of times in church culture, we can shy away from Satan and the devil. And you know what we do is we, we just throw this, this term around of, oh, the enemy or the, the obstacles, the opposition. But we don't recognize is that we have an adversary who is coming for us. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober-minded, be Watchful, because your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't know how conscious you are of this, but there is an enemy who is coming and he wants to undo everything that God has built in your life. Every bit of truth that the Holy Spirit has implanted in you, the enemy is coming to seek and devour. But the greatest part of this is he's got a roar. He's coming around like a roaring lion. He doesn't have all of the power, all of the authority. He doesn't have the same uh, 
impact that Jesus does. He's not sovereign. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. You know what? The funny thing is, is, is a lot of times we wouldn't even, we, we think like Satan's coming against us. No, Satan's demons are coming against us. Most of us, I doubt Satan even knows our name. But we have to be recognizing that there is an enemy, but he's a little pipsqueak that's gonna get thrown into the lake of fire because Jesus has overcome. And so in the end, if you're going through a situation where the enemy is attacking you, oppressing you, coming against you, causing a storm in your life, you know what you got to do? You got to remind. You have to remind because so often we forget. You thought I was going to say remind the enemy. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Hey, you're going to, you can do that. So often we need to let's talk about our problem to our enemy and remind ourselves of the faithfulness of our God. We need to stop reminding ourselves how bad our problem is and remind ourselves how good our God is. Remind yourself. John 16, says this. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He wins. Full stop. He wins. Matthew 7, 24 and 25. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. You need to remind yourself of God's word. You need to remind yourself of, of what God declares over you and about you. You need to remind yourself of who he is and what he's done and what he's capable of so that you can be founded not on turbulent ground, not on the sinking sands of culture, but you can be solid on the rock. Many of you, the reminder that you need to to get in your, your mind is that he can do all things. You need to remind yourself of the times that he has come through before and he's made a way, that he's brought you this far, that he's provided for you in the past, that he has healed, that he has given you strength. Don't forget what he has done. Can you even think like, my my kids, you know, they, um, part of my morning this morning is I'm trying to fix problems here is my son was coming up begging for a PS5. Literally crying tears. Like he was pulling out the waterworks, the full thing. And uh, as he's doing this, I'm like trying to run. Noah, do you not remember the fact that we bought you a Nintendo Switch? Like not that long ago. And then do you, do you not remember when I bought you more games for that and another? We just literally went a month ago and got you a controller and all. Do you not remember So many times we look at God and we're asking God for for a miracle and we're asking God for for him to do something and we're asking God, can I ever get through this? Or do you even care? And you have to look back and recognize the moments that he's done it before and he can do it again. So if he's provided for you in the past, praise him, thank him, and rejoice in the fact that he can do it again. I want you to write this down. I know some of you aren't even taking notes. Don't worry, your, um, your treasures in heaven are gonna be docked uh, if you're not taking. 
But I want you to recognize this. That Jesus is greater than any storm. And he is worthy of my trust. You see, when I look at this passage and I'm seeing the situation playing out, the reason that Jesus could sleep is because he knows that with just one word, he can control the storm. So often our concern comes because we forget the power and magnitude of God, but also this, we fail to put our trust completely in him, entirely in him, wholly in him. 1 John 4, 4 says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you, he is greater than he who is in the world. But, but, but Pastor Chris, you don't, you don't know what I'm, I'm going through. You, didn't, you weren't in the doctor's room and they gave me the diagnosis. But you know what? I sat with somebody, I was on the phone call with somebody this week that their cancer is gone. Oh, but, but Pastor Chris, you, you don't know, you haven't, you haven't experienced everything that I'm going through and you don't know, how, like this relationship can never be mended and healed and, and I, I'm never gonna overcome this and, and this addiction I've struggled with all of my life. And, and you, can, you can tell that and you can keep saying that and you'll stay exactly where you are. But when you recognize and remind yourself that God is greater, that God is able, that God can and will make a way when you cannot see a way. Remember that he has overcome, that he who is living inside of you is greater than the enemy, greater than your circumstance. And it may not look all perfect here on this earth, but once you get heaven's side, you will look back and recognize his plan, his purpose, his wisdom all along. And I just think of this where he says, why are you still so afraid Why? Why are you looking at the storm when you've seen all that I can do? And I believe that God wants to give us a revelation of him today. That as we're going through the opposition that we're experiencing, as we're going through the situations that we're walking through, that he is able, that he is powerful, and it doesn't take, it doesn't always take years and years and years. We, we were talking about some of this, um, some of the way that God works. And you know, we have a vision here to, to plant. We, have, we want to have 10 Keystone churches by 2023. And so we're like, we're really thinking it, and like we could very easily get into this point where we're like, okay, well, that means every year and a half we got to do this, and every two years we do this. And you know what happens is, is with God, we'll plant one over like the next six years, and in year nine, all of a sudden, boom, right? Some of you, you experience that same thing in your life that you, you're thinking, oh, well, well, God hasn't come through yet. But, but, but don't stop short. Imagine if the Israelites, when they're marching around Jericho, they stopped on day six. When Jesus was, was, was saying to the disciples, he's saying, he's saying, don't you trust that I've already done? Don't quit now because you're going to miss out on all the things that I'm going to do in the future. And it, and it doesn't take too much from me. You know what it takes? It takes one word. Peace. He said peace. And the 
couldn't stop. Some of you this morning, I just want to be prophetic and I want to say this. The Lord is looking at your life and he's saying this, peace. Peace. Remember that I've got this. Remember that I'm in control. Remember that I am the one who cares about you so much that I sent my son to die on a cross for you so you were not alone or forgotten or forsaken. I see you in your pain. I see you in your struggle. I see you when you are crying those tears at night. I see you when you're sitting at the dining table trying to figure out how to put the pieces together. I see you when you're, you're driving in your car and, you're, and you know what you're thinking? How did I get here? How did my life end up like this? And I'm prophesying that one day you will look back on the faithfulness of God and you will ask, how did I get here? Not by might, not by power, but only by my spirit. Only by the spirit of God coming through in your life. Do you believe it? Do you receive it? Let's pray. God, we know that opposition comes. And Lord, if opposition is going to come, then we don't want to waste it. God, we want to use the opposition in our lives, Lord, to draw closer to you, to rest in you, to trust in you, to be dependent on you so that we can see your glory and your power on display. God, we're sick of trying to put the pieces back together on our own. When, Lord, I think there's some moments that is not about putting the pieces back together. It's about you creating brand new pieces that we could never see. So, God, I pray for the heart this morning that is discouraged, that is despondent, because they've tried and they've tried and they've tried and they can never come up. They always feel like they're sinking. God, I pray that you would speak peace today. And Lord, I know there's many in this room that you're thinking, you know what, I'm not really facing too many storms at the moment or, or, or these are just kind of little blips on the radar, but God, we know that at some point or another, something might come our way. God, I pray that we would come back, that we would anchor ourselves to you, that we'd respond appropriately. Lord God, if it's that we need, we need to rest in you. Lord God, if it's that we need to repent from our, our own faults. Lord, if it's that we need to remind ourselves of your faithfulness, whatever it is, God, that we would come and that we would be anchored completely in your word. Because, Lord, we know that when you speak, things change. Lord, we know that when you declare something, it happens. Lord, we know that your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So, Lord God, we come and we worship the God. We praise the God. We exalt the God who is the God who is able to do immeasurably more. We are done living in discouragement and hopelessness. We thank you that you'll see us through this storm. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship like he's bringing us through the storm today.